Well, good morning. Um, great to be with you uh, this morning and uh, to start a series, a fairly short series on the book of Titus, on the epistle of Titus, and um, to look at living beautifully. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at living the beautiful life in Christ. And this is a letter that is challenging. Uh, it's not easy reading, is it, for any of us, really? Uh, I read last week that everyone loves a talk on happiness or hope, but not many on holiness. <laughs> so that was encouraging. Um, but this is about holiness. But actually what I love about it at the start of the letter is that Paul really sets it into the context of loving what is good. And sometimes we look at holiness as a tightrope that we've got to walk and that we might fall off at any point, rather than learning, training our hearts and our minds to love what is good and to be edified by it. So we're looking at the body beautiful and we're looking this morning particularly at being one body united in the beauty of Christ. Um, it was my privilege, not last week but the week before, um, to go to the International Dance Festival. I don't know if anyone else uh, caught it there, uh, but it was all week in Centenary Square in Birmingham. Hands up if you saw it or what past it uh, or were part of it James a little picture of James there um, just warming up for his uh, for his little backflip um, but very definitely um, it was an absolute celebration across the world of dance companies there were people from the Hippodrome uh, people from all over the world coming together and showing the most exquisite dancing together in a kind of amazing ensemble where you just thought if they timed it just a little bit wrong, they wouldn't have caught the person or that wouldn't have been able to happen. And people just stood back and thought, I know I did, just thought, how on earth did they do that? the cooperation, and the sense of humility, actually, in honouring one another. There were no stars. You didn't come away thinking that one person was good. You came away thinking, isn't it incredible what humanity can achieve together in cooperation, in trust? And wouldn't it be great if people seeing church lived out across the week, all that we're involved with, stood back and said, isn't that beautiful? And I want to just pay credit, actually, this morning. You'll know that we have had some technical difficulties. Weirdly, it happened last week, so maybe it's something to do with me talking on the body beautiful. But I think when we watch our techie team and Tim leading and everything, under great pressure, we see the body beautiful. No one lost it. Everybody just really trying to honour one another. And that is essentially this passage in action. That's the living Christ in action, in servitude, in humility. Things happen. We've got no control sometimes over them, but we have got a control over how we respond. So I just applaud you. Shall we just applaud the techies and Tim and all those? Because um, that's it, really. That is the body beautiful in many ways. So let's get into this passage a little bit. Uh, it's a pastoral letter that's being written. It's been written by Paul. And Paul has been to Crete with Titus, and they've started something. They've seen people come to faith, and it's unfinished. It's unfinished. We're unfinished, aren't we? But it's unfinished. And he's saying to Titus, they've kind of not got the whole picture. Maybe they've found Jesus as saviour, but they're certainly not living it out as Lord. And again, 
That's true of us sometimes, that we know he's rescued us if we're Christians here today. We know, as, as uh, Helen reminded us earlier, that our sins are forgiven, that we're loved unconditionally, and we celebrate that in this place. But he's saying, Titus, you need to remind them that actually it can be lived out in the grace of Christ as a beautiful, beautiful uh, witness to the power of, of his power. And in the, um, in the first instance, I, I read this quote which I think really kind of summarizes what, um, what he's saying to Titus. The organic and unified growth of a church should be based on right teaching of God's truth and a living out of the life of that truth. And I read that and I thought that summarizes this so much better than I can, that it just says, don't let corruption, he's saying, don't let things get in that are false. Keep your minds pure. Keep the scripture in your heads and in your hearts and live it out, living out God's truth organically and unified, unified together. And Paul sets the tone of everything he's going to say next. He sets the tone of it in terms of eternity. And, and I love this start to the letter. If he was just going to give the, cre you know, the cretins a bit of a telling off and say, Titus, you've got to tell that to them. He doesn't. He says, it's worth it. That's what he says right at the beginning. He says, when we hear that there is an eternal life, Jesus Christ did not lie. He says, God didn't lie. Now, who is in a position to say that? Paul is. Because he was living as Saul, he was anti-everything that the gospel was about until he met the risen Jesus. He was one of over 500 people who literally met Jesus in his risen form, and it changed everything. So we know that he's in a position to say how we live out this body beautiful counts for eternity. It counts. And when it's tough, and when it's tough to make that decision at work, when it's tough to live perhaps sacrificially, when we're finding it hard, it's a brilliant reminder from Paul at the start of this that the hope is an eternal life in which God does not lie, that he's promised it before the beginning of time. He's set eternity in the hearts of humanity. We put sin there, God put eternity in our hearts. There's a craving for it, a longing for it, but also he's reminding us that there's a living for it. Um, I recently um, saw the film Room, and I was very impacted. It's quite tough viewing at, at, at points, um, but actually it's about a boy who grows up in a room with his mum, and he's brought up, and the mum, in, in a captivity state, celebrates this room as if it's everything. She does birthday cakes. She, she just tries to get the best out of him. And it's all he knows is this room. It's all he knows until one day they escape and he realizes there's a whole world beyond. And I know some of you will have read the book or, or seen the film, but uh, what is so impacting about it and what really it speaks to me of is it's so easy for you and I to live as if this is all there is. That actually, as we go about our day, as we go about our week, it seems that this is everything. 
that actually all that we can see and touch, that little boy for five years and more lived as if that was everything. And suddenly, he finds animals for the first time. He finds nature for the first time. He realizes that he was just in a tiny part of all that there is and was. And I believe that's true for us, and that Paul is reminding the people on the island of Crete that actually we live an eternal perspective, that the body beautiful is a temporary thing. Winston Churchill said, we are glowworms that live but for a day, but it's the light that we shared in that day that counts. Interestingly, at his funeral, he had a bugler. My notes say burglar, <laughs> but it is a bugler. They may have had a burglar. I don't know if he was present, but there's definitely a, a bugler there. And uh, the bugler, as they, they put Winston Churchill to rest after incredible life, really, um, the bugler played the, the rest that says, my soul is at rest and is asleep. And everyone thought that that was the end of the service, that actually what a peaceful and lovely end. And then he had a second bugler right at the back of the chapel who played what is called the reveille, which means wake up. And that was actually the end, that they had this beautiful lyrical piece of music as they left that says he's awake. And actually, we live, it seems so big for us, doesn't it? It's so real, but actually, our lives are so fleeting. And so Paul is saying, remind them, Titus, remind them that life is fleeting, but there is an eternal reward for every believer in Christ in heaven. Isn't that amazing? You know, that's a great place to start as we get into this passage. And everything else, let's see it in the light of that. Uh, PA, who... Um, as assistant to the leadership team, uh, shared with us a, a wonderful story. It came out of great pain. They've had a lot of deaths in their church. She's part of uh, a, a Baptist church on the Six Ways, and uh, they've had a lot of death. And she was going to about, I think, the fourth or fifth funeral that they'd had in, in, in so many weeks, and was really struggling. And it was the, the funeral this time of a man who'd only been a Christian three years. And uh, he was an elderly man, and uh, she tells the story uh, of him. And and I was just going to read you a little bit about it. Um, he's basically called Mr. Edwards, and he came to faith through a dream. And in his dream, he saw his mother, who'd long passed, and she said, you've got to get yourself to church and sort your life out. And he'd resisted faith right up until his uh, mid to late 60s, even though his wife prayed for him daily. He was not having any of it. But in this dream, he even had a picture of the church that he ended up going to on the six ways, uh, and actually saw that church and it was about him going and seeing the leaders there. The leaders there prayed with him. He gave his life to Jesus, and he was baptized. And he was a very smiley man who spoke in a very, very quiet voice and hardly said much, just smiled. So three years in, he dies. On the morning of the day that he peacefully slept away, passed away in hospital, he had been visited by his wife, his pastor, and another member of his church. All three testified that this quiet, gentle man who they knew had been laying quietly in his bed with his eyes open when suddenly he sat up and very animatedly, urgently insisted that his slippers be put on his feet as he was ready to go. When they inquired where he wanted to go with the broadest of smiles and in a loud, joyful voice, he then gave them a detailed account of how he'd been laying there when all of a sudden a beautiful man had appeared to him and held out his hand. At that same time, 
He recognized that this was Jesus and followed him into the most beautiful garden where there was a river and loads of trees. There were angels everywhere singing and praising God and smiling just at him. He kept saying over and over, it is so beautiful, so beautiful. I can't stay here anymore. I want to go. I have to go. And what an amazing account. And actually, it's an account that parallels quite a lot of other accounts. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Roy Castle's passing, uh, a couple of us. Um, But actually, he was a kind of entertainer in our youth. And um, when he passed away, he he really had a similar vision, uh, as did my mum and and many others, in terms of seeing gardens and and meeting with, with Jesus in amazing ways. But this is a story of a man just three years into his faith, just saying, I have to go. I have to leave. So there is no doubt that we have eternity set in the human heart. But then comes the more challenging verses where we're asked to really live out the beauty in qualities that Paul lists for Titus. We're asked to live out integrity, harmony, unity, and claritas, or truth. That actually these are the characteristics that we need to excel in. Gerard O'Collins, in his paper on the beauty of Christ, says, Beauty attracts us, it evokes our wonder, our joy, arouses a flood of delight. We fall in love with beauty, we sing its praises, and we want to stay in its presence. As we look on Christ, as we think about being his beautiful body, that's a, a really wonderful reminder. Integrity and harmony and truth. I wonder as we go about this week whether we feel that those are characteristics that will be said of us, that we might be described. Love what is good in verses 5 to 9. And actually they break down in the letter what is good. And I think actually we know, we know deep in the heart of us that actually there's a conditioning there that when there is something good or someone good, we are attracted to it. The beauty of a kind spirit, a faithful heart, a hospitable friend. And here we have listed some of the things that the the people of Crete are being asked to live out in the power that is available to them in Christ. Faithfulness. It is not something that is celebrated in our culture enough, is it? Faithfulness. I watched a program not long ago where a woman just said she'd left her husband and everyone burst into applause. Before we knew anything of the story, I just thought, how are we in a culture that says that's okay, when actually when we get married, we make vows that say, I will honor you no matter what. I will live with you. I will be the one that is wedded to you and promised to you for the rest of our lives. Now, we know things happen, and we need to get out of relationships that can be destructive sometimes. But on the whole, marriage is hard sometimes and needs to be worked at and needs to be prayed over. And faith Faithfulness needs to be not only lived out, but celebrated. Uh, Our group leaders, our life group leaders in Nottingham when I was a new Christian, were an amazing couple. If you like, they were the power couple that we all kind of hoped to become. You know, we just thought they were amazing. And we went and they opened their home up and we used to read scripture together and they shared how to live. And we thought, this is the way forward. And then just one day, the guy left for another woman. And she was just left. And she didn't know whether she should carry the group on, but we said, yes, you know, let's do it. And we carried on meeting in her home. But she decided, looking at some of this loving what is good, she decided that no one would ever speak ill of him in their home. 
Uh, she had a young daughter growing up uh, as a little one, and she said, no, no ill will be spoken of him here. And she prayed over the house, and she said, I will not have, I made my vows to him, I will not have his name brought into disrepute here. Now we, her friends and her group, were angry with him. I think that's fair to say. And some of our friends who were not followers of Jesus were also angry, knew about this rule, but thought, great, doesn't apply to us. Um, so when he was coming to pick up his daughter one day, one of them, quite a mouthy character, and I wouldn't want to cross her, she uh, turned up to have her way and to battle with him and say, what you have done is not on, and she thought, and she got it all planned out already. Is it, is it my necklace that's tapping on the microphone? Do you think? Do you think I need to take it off? Okay. Um, <laughs> wardrobe malfunction. Um, it's all going completely wrong now. I think it's in my earring. Anyway. <laughs> Just leave it. I'll, I'll start a fashion. Do you think I can... Can I carry it off? No. Um, and she said um, that she went to challenge this guy in the house when he was there to pick up their little girl and nothing would come out of her mouth. She said it wasn't like laryngitis. It was literally nothing would come out of her mouth. So much so that that was the first step towards her becoming a believer in Jesus because she said to me, Judy, it freaked me out. <laughs> now, we don't want to be freaked out in one sense, but the power of God is powerful and mighty. And he was not having that. Why? Because a daughter of his had said, we will be faithful here. Hospitality. I love the hospitality here at Bourneville. We need more of it. Uh, I know the helpers were struggling today, so if you're able to maybe help on one Sunday, that would be amazing. But I know people who are quite new who are already just getting stuck in and serving, and we really long to have as much of that as possible. Because hospitality is here, it's in our homes, it's in our community groups, it's across all our sites as well. And it's not something that comes easy to some of us. Some of you will be brilliant at it. You're brilliant cooks, you're brilliant homemakers, you have lovely places, and, and others of you will find it hard. I want to confess to you that uh, some of you will know I'm part of a book club uh, that I joined in Moseley, and I joined it intentionally to, to just broaden my circle of friends, to meet some new people, and uh, really to meet some people who are not in church and, and not necessarily followers of Jesus. And they are an amazing group of women in some pretty awesome houses. It's the Moseley book club, and it's one end of Moseley, not the one I live in. And it's, they are stunning. And I walk into everything and try not to gush too much. And I'm just, this is amazing. And the rule is, if you choose the book in book club, you host. So we'd been around about three or four of these homes, and still I hadn't recommended a book. Now, I had lots of ideas about books. Some of you all know I love to read. I probably had about four books that I was going to recommend, but I was not recommending anything. And they said to me, oh, Judy, what about you? Uh, any books that you'd like to recommend, maybe for the next time? And I said, oh, um... Yeah, I have got some books, but actually I'm not sure I could, could host. So, I mean, I could recommend a book, and then maybe we could go to the Prince of Wales and do it there, and uh, we could get some food in there. And right there, in played out with all my new friends, was the sin of pride. Because my house isn't as big as theirs. And, and that was why I did it. That's why I said that. And you know when you just get that, Judy, what is that about? 
what is that? So anyway, you'll be pleased to know that I changed my mind and I said, actually, that's wrong. I've got a lovely home. It's just not <laughs> quite as big as all of theirs. I didn't say that. Um, but actually, they came. We had a fantastic night, hilarious night, brilliant. It was squashed. We had beanbags. It wasn't uh, uh, perhaps as beautiful and as accommodating as their homes, but we had a great night. But actually, that was God gently challenging me into the beautiful life, that it's not about the aesthetics of our home. It's about the beauty of our hearts and just challenging that sin of pride in me. And we'll have others. Self-control, we've already mentioned, is a beautiful gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit that we can pray for. Not all of us will be disciplined in our personalities, but we can pray. It's something I pray for, for the fruit of self-control in our lives so that we don't destroy others or ourselves in the making. Holy lives, as we've said, not about a tightrope where we're too terrified to get it wrong, but about a gracious Christ who wants us to live for our health and holiness. He has a plan for your holiness to protect your life and actually will reward us eternally, as Paul reminds us, holding firmly to the truth and encouraging one another. And then when we get to the, the slightly more tricky part of the uh, letter, um, we look at rebuke and challenge. The final bit of, uh, of chapter one, anyway, of this letter is saying, really, if the body beautiful needs to take in what is good, needs to crave and love what is good, what happens when bad stuff gets in? Now, we know with the body beautiful, we know with our own bodies, if we eat too much sugar or if we have too many additives, all of that, it's not good. They're toxic for our bodies. And it's the same with the body here, that actually unity needs to be preserved. I pray for the unity of this church, as I know you do. I'm jealous for it, because I believe that we will not always agree. We're a very diverse and disparate group, and we praise God for that. But we can choose to love one another, and we can choose to excel in that love. Uh, we won't always agree, um, but actually we will be called to love. Great quote on that. Give other Christians permission to be different from you. You are not the only Christ follower in the world, and neither are you the most committed. Your way of loving Jesus is neither the only way nor the best. If you don't know that, then your Christian world is way too small. Isn't that great? Because we're so diverse, and we, we really want to keep that. In Corinthians, Paul says, let us purify, purify ourselves from everything that would contaminate the body, and perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit by perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And actually, to, to actually preserve a spirit that rejects what is corrupt, that rejects it, that learns to discern what is corrupt. And also, when we look at this business of the Jewish myths that were going on, I believe that there are myths about Christianity today that we need to make sure that we address and challenge. Uh, I looked up on Google, what are the top myths about Christianity? And the first is myth number one, that Christianity is an intolerant and judgmental faith, judgmental towards others. And yet the truth of the gospel is that we're taught to love our neighbor as ourself and to share the love that we found in Jesus with everyone else. 
The second myth was Christianity cannot be true because of the suffering in our worlds. And yet the truth is Christianity offers the best hope and the most power to deal with suffering, being based on the suffering and death of Christ. The third, Christianity is untrue because it's based on faith instead of facts. And yet, truth is, the claims of Christianity are based on historical facts that can be tested and verified and have stood for all of these years. And so they go on. Uh, many lies, really, that are said about our faith and about other faiths, uh, untruths, that actually we as the body beautiful can live out what is true. We can challenge in love. We are not supposed to be doormats. Are you pleased about that? I am. I don't want to be a doormat for Jesus. I want to be someone that speaks up for him, speaks out for him when it's appropriate. And actually that doesn't let disunity or things that would corrupt and contaminate. If you hear teaching, even you know, it might be even from here, um, that actually you think, I'm not sure how I can align that with scripture. It is okay to challenge that, to discuss it, to talk about it in your life group, to come to one of us to talk about it, because we are fallible and uh, we will get things wrong. But our heart is to honor the Bible here and to speak truth so that as the body beautiful, we take in what is good and we begin to repel what isn't. You will know that sometimes things happen, as maybe even happened here last week, where there's a check in your spirit. And I believe that that is put there by the Holy Spirit to just say, well, hang on, we're not sure about this, to test, to find out what is true so that we honor what is true and take away what is corrupt and what is not of God. And the good news as we close is that we have this spirit that actually will help us to change his transforming spirit day by day hour by hour that as we breathe him in as we have our quiet times as we pray to him that actually we will be people who are more and more beautiful in our unity in our integrity in our hospitality and welcome and in our truth telling as we live our lives together let's stand the urn has come on that's always a sign isn't it um, that you're overrunning and I would love to, to just pray with us and for us uh, as we pledge again to letting Christ live out his truth in us as a body. Lord, we begin by confessing to you that we've not always lived the truth and beauty of your gospel. That even this week there may be things that we've thought, done, said that have not loved you, that have not lived out your beauty. And we are truly sorry, Lord. And as a body now, we pledge to being more beautiful, more beautiful in our unity, in our truth, in our faithfulness to one another. And Lord, we can only do that by your grace, by your power, by your Holy Spirit's work in us and through us. We are being changed. Paul wrote to Titus saying the work isn't finished. And we know the work isn't finished here. So would you, holy God, keep changing us, keep beautifying us, keep chipping away at anything that would contaminate this body in our own lives and in the body of this body at Riverside. Teach us to love what is good. 
because we ask it in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.